Hello, welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Today we're going to talk about the right order of love. How it is that love works in marriage, family, between friends, and in the community at large. And because it gets into the right order, if you have a disordered understanding of love, let's say that your understanding of love of God is that you barter. God has some stuff you want, you have some stuff God wants, and you're going to trade back and forth. Uh, That just misunderstands the relationship with God. But you know, marriages can work like that. You can get uh, marriage to devolve basically to an idea that it's just financial trading. People are swapping back and forth to get what they want until inevitably uh, someone just love runs out of anything to barter. Uh, the other party doesn't have anything you want. It's the problem of loves that are ordered towards termination. How about love that's ordered for eternity? Well, it starts with love of God and then goes to love of nature. And that's what the readings are about on the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time, that there is a structure to love, that it starts with love of God, and it extends into eternity. And it's the conclusion of Matthew chapter 22. So let's take a moment and talk about the Matthew chapter 22 and how this last story about the love of God really puts the entirety of the gospel into the proper perspective. Earlier this week, I was at a wedding and the groom asked for Kleenex because he was afraid that he was going to cry when he was exchanging his wedding vows. Well, think about this. So here's this guy who is marrying this unbelievably beautiful, accomplished, mature, loving woman. And he was afraid that others might see the deep emotion that she stirred in him. Oh my gosh, what happens when you become embarrassed about your love and you have to moderate it, that you can't simply pour out the complexity, the beauty, the fear, the vulnerability of love. Now think about that in terms of love of God and love of neighbor. What happens when you want to keep everything under control? You don't get too far out. You don't really love completely with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your being. What do you end up with? Friends, you end up someplace you don't want to be. So let's talk about chapter 22 because this is the exciting uh, conclusion of chapter 22. And you will remember most of it because we've been going through Matthew chapter 22 for the last two weeks. If you can remember back two weeks ago, Jesus was telling the parable of this wedding feast where the owner, the master had so much love and his wedding was coming off and he was so excited about it. He invites all of these people and what do they do? One says, oh, you know, I got to buy a cow. Another says, I'm going to go and I've got some property I'm going to do. I'm, you know, watching reruns of Gilligan's Island that night. And so he says, to hell with you people, literally. And then he sends out the invitation to the next crowd. And they're at the byways, they're hanging out in the, down in the bar. They're all the riffraff, as Jesus says, prostitutes and tax collectors or entering the kingdom of God before you. And remember, they all come to the wedding feast, um, and there's just one who is not properly attired. He's not wearing a wedding garment. 
And if you remember my podcast from then, the idea of the wedding garment is to be clothed in righteousness, not simply that you've accepted the invitation, but you love the master and you've lived life according to that love, the right order of love. Decide what's most important in your life and then direct your loves to that end. So the next story, if you remember, is whether or not you should pay taxes to the emperor. And I, that was my podcast from last week. And you remember that Jesus asked to see the coin. And whose image is on it? Well, Tiberius Caesar's is on it. So he flips it back to the, to the Herodians and the Pharisees, who shouldn't be having graven images in their pocket anyway. Uh, and he says, render under Caesar's what is Caesar's, and under God to what is God. And that's the uh, image and likeness. Uh, whose image and likeness do you bear? I know you remember this, but you put it all together as you understand about the love of God and responding uh, to God's invitation to be part of his uh, kingdom. And so the next story in chapter 22 of Matthew, which is the story that leads up to the, to the reading for the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time, is the story you may remember that comes out of the book of Tobit. The Sadducees come, and, and this is Holy Week. This, this chapter 22 is the beginning of Holy Week. The Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it's like all of Jesus' enemies are surfacing, and they want to discredit him before they kill him. But Jesus' wisdom is too much for them. But you remember the Sadducees' question? It goes like this. Jesus, there's this beautiful woman, and she gets married, but her husband dies and leaves her without a child. And then his six brothers, one after the other, marry her. They all die without leaving uh, her with a child. So when they all get to the resurrection that you're talking about, uh, whose wife is she? Remember, he mar she married seven times. The Sadducees are so clever. Um, but uh, it, it's a story that comes out of the book of Tobit, which is a beautiful story about marriage. And it's Sarah. She gets married seven times. And even Asmodeus in, uh, in, in Tobit uh, comes and kills each one of her husbands on their wedding night before they consummate. And so God sends Raphael from heaven to answer poor Susan, Sarah's rather, uh, prayer. And uh, Raphael brings Tobias to her and makes the marriage contract. And the night that Tobias is gonna marry Sarah and consummate the wedding, he kneels next to the bed and he prays and he says, I take my sister not out of love. I mean, not out of lust, but out of love. And how does he show his love of God in marriage? Because remember, chapter 22 starts with a wedding feast. He talks to God. And it's how God brings love and health and meaning into this relationship between man and woman. So in the, in the book of Tobit, Tobias and Sarah have an amazing uh, honeymoon evening together. And their marriage is going to be even better. And they are afterwards going to uh, be at peace with God and worship God like the angels in heaven with great love. And marriage will lead them to that in the book of Tobit. So the Sadducees are taking that story and they're trying to turn it against Jesus. And Jesus uh, says to them, uh, you are very misled because you do not know the scriptures. They don't understand what they're reading and they don't know the power of God. Those two things. Understand scripture, 
trust in the power of God. And this is the problem that Jesus is pointing about, about first century Israel. Then Jesus goes on. At the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but like angels in heaven. And if you read Tobit and what Raphael says about the angels in heaven, uh, they praise God. They learn to love God above all things. That's what angels do. And that's what husband and wife will do in heaven. And because they'll do that, their marriage will be blessed in heaven. Their love for each other will be blessed by completion in heaven. Who the heck gets married? and hopes that love will come to an end. Who gets married and wants to have children that will not join them in heaven? Who gets married and thinks that they're going to barter their way to earthly happiness? You're nuts. It's not that kind of investment. Marriage is an investment in eternal life. And so that's how Jesus concludes his story. He says, And concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's Exodus. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And so this is the lead up to the resurrection. So just let, before I read you the story from Matthew, which is the gospel, just think about what the whole lead up to this story is. You're invited to this big wedding feast. You have to be ready for it. Then how do, you, how do you deal with earthly things? Earthly things have their own integrity. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Politics has its own integrity. It's not the kingdom of God. Financial investments, their own integrity, not the kingdom of God. None of this is the most important thing in, in life. Render unto God what is God's. That is his image and likeness. That is you. And what is that in this marriage feast? Well, it's this story about uh, you and all the lovers that you have. But you're made for one, and that's God. And if you find that one, it puts everything else into the right perspective. And now, the gospel. And we'll turn to the next part as I keep you hanging about uh, Matthew 22. And so the next story following the wedding feast, the question about whose image is on you, and the question about what heaven is and what it has to do uh, with this poor woman who's had seven lovers, it's the story about what's the most important thing in life, what's the greatest commandment. And you already know it, but I'm going to read it to you again. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, you see, you have to know the story before to understand the motivation. Jesus had shut the Sadducees down with his line, you don't know the power of God or the scriptures because they're the so-called experts. And then he quotes to them, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the living, not the dead. And so it's a slam down. But the Pharisees, undiscouraged, they gather together. And one of them, a scholar of the law tested our Lord by asking, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two things. So now think about that. Because what he's referring to is two parts 
of um, Exodus and Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 6, where the most important parts of the law are both set out. And now I'd like to talk about that. So um, the two parts of the law that are being referred to, and you know them both, one's the Decalogue, that's the Ten Commandments, the other is the Shema. And to take some time to think about those two as the instruction from the Old Testament that Jesus recapitulates in Matthew chapter 22, why it's important to you, how your, your religious vocation uh, to follow the Lord, but also how you think about happiness in your life and love in your life. And so um, the Decalogue, it's, um, we most all remember it's the Ten Commandments. And I'll, I'll read them at the very end and so you can hear them again in relationship to the Shema. So the Decalogue is from Exodus 20. And most of us remember the Ten Commandments. We remember that the first three, hopefully, are uh, about the love of God. The last seven are loving your parents. And then the limits on what you can do to other people. And so it's the thou shalt not. And if you've lived long enough, you've had some truly wise person tell you about all the thou shalt nots, and they don't need any more thou shalt nots. And you know, it's, it's really where we are in America, where people uh, uh, want to uh, limit other people and what they can think uh, as an exertion, ex assertion of their own freedom. You know, the great sin that runs through all of us is our desire to dominate and control. And domination and control is the opposite of love. You don't dominate somebody to show your love for them because that's degrading. Parents have the obligation of training their children. But at some point, what they're trained to be is adults. And you, know, you gotta let go of them and let them be adults um, to try to, to dominate uh, people throughout their lives. Uh, this is not how God loves us. And uh, I've, I know parents try to defend that but I think it's hard to read the Gospels and treat another person like that. So this is the organization of the Decalogue. The first three commandments, the commandments against idolatry, that's the first one, uh, and idolatry is you'll make no graven images, you'll have no God before you. The second is the commandment against blasphemy, which is you won't use the Lord your God's name in vain, you won't swear false oaths. And the third commandment, is um, that you'll keep holy the Sabbath, um, that you will set this time aside uh, to be with God because it's at the basis of sanity is to spend some time thinking about what God asks of you. Why do you think people complain about God and they don't have experiences of God? I suggest it's because they don't set a t aside time to pray and then even if they recite all their prayers, they don't set time aside to listen, which is basically what the rest of life is. Uh, all of life is a conversation with God, but you can't really have a conversation with God if you have someone else in his place, whether it's money or relationships or whatever, can uh, take God out of that first place and become an idol. Uh, the big one in America now is ideology, all these ideas about the economy or politics. 
um, which is more important than the love of God for some people. And then the idea of a blasphemy, um, that God just becomes one opinion amongst many. It's when you set up God as just one more thing that competes for your time in life. And so you gotta give time to God. You gotta make uh, God where you really are concerned about what is ultimately truthful in life. That's concern with God. And then um, not blaspheming, not disrespecting those fundamental truths that are necessary for the health of human life. That would be, if you ever see a picture of Moses holding the two tablets, which have the Ten Commandments on it, those three are on the first tablet. But the second tablet with commandments like uh, number four, honor your father and your mother, or number five, you shall not kill. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness. And the last two commandments are about coveting things that belong to your neighbor, um, their spouse, and their stuff. Um, and so the last seven are all about love of neighbors, starting with your parents. And just think of the logic of that. How many people go off into distorted relationships because of distorted relationships that come out of their families? Um, so let's leave the Decalogue aside because we'll come back to that at the very end. But go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's if you listen carefully, it is the Decalogue, but it's um, said in a much shorter way. And so here's Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then um, Deuteronomy 6 goes on. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that when Jesus, Jesus has basically done is taken all the negative prohibitions from that last part of the Decalogue, um, that you find on the, the second tablet of Decalogue. And he's flipped them and summed them up into positive commands that our hearts are made for love. Namely, that what, what you should avoid actually makes room for what you should do. If you want to love God, then it means there are some things you don't do. You're not loving God when you lie, cheat, steal, um, commit adultery, dishonor your parents, or you spend all your time thinking about what someone else has. And I'd just be happier if I had all of that. Um, and so he folds that into the Shema. And so that the Shema in this first century Jewish setting um, is a way to just keeping your mind focused on the basic relationship between love of God and love of neighbor. Because all of chapter 22 is about a wedding. It's about returning to God what is his. It's about preparing your heart with all the false loves that you can have uh, for that one true love where you give glory to God in heaven. So think about that in your Catholic life and in your Catholic prayer life. So you don't say the Shema, and I doubt that you recite the Ten Commandments every day. 
But think about what a really good solid Catholic practice are that brings this home uh, through what Jesus has taught you and what the church has brought you. And so the first is your daily prayer, at least three times a day of the Our Father. Think about the Our Father as it relates to the Decalogue and the Shema uh, about love of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's love of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's overcoming idolatry, that God's kingdom, not all the little kingdoms I would build, as thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then the thing about love of neighbor and how it is. Give us this day our daily bread, uh, both the Eucharist, uh, but also the sustenance we need. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That we don't, we can't live feeling constantly that we're disconnected from God. So we need God's mercy. We need God's mercy every day. And so we show mercy to others. Love of God turning to love of neighbor. And so you see how the Our Father brings the Decalogue and the Shema, the love of God and the love of neighbor uh, into your prayer life. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Literally, not that God uh, plays the satanic role, but that God does not permit us to fall to Satan. Our dependence on God to avoid the power of evil because without God, um, the power of evil will overwhelm us. It's just we're not in the same league as the satanic. Um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, that what we need with God is to be saved from those things that would, that would just eat us. And then think of the other prayers where we remember on what God did for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Remember the story of Tobit? And Tobit is talking about how uh, Sarah and Tobias and Tobit and his wife will be like the angels in heaven. That's what Jesus says in the story in Matthew 22. Um, and so when you pray the Hail Mary, what are you doing? Well, you're repeating the words of the angel Gabriel, right? And Saint Elizabeth. And so you're praying like the angels and the saints. And then your own need, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Because Jesus gives us our Blessed Lady as our mother. And then you close with, the, I'd say, the grand slam, which is the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Think of those three prayers as reminding yourself of the basics in the Our Father, the love of God and the love of neighbor. And then the Hail Mary is a participation in the prayer of the angels and the saints and a prayer for mercy and help. And then what it does all lead you to, exactly what Jesus is talking about in the story leading up to the story about the greatest commandment, that you live like angels in heaven. Because when you pray the glory be, you are praying like an angel in heaven. Hopefully you're paying attention to all of that. And so let's take a moment, and I would just like to read to you the Decalogue as it comes out of Exodus chapter 20, because it's not something that we review a lot, but it's really worth thinking about. So let's turn there now. So for your own spiritual health, 
uh, think about Exodus chapter 20. I mean, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter 20, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and the very law that God delivered to Moses and the people, and it's still our law in the Catholic Church today. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not have other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or a likeness of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth uh, like an image of Caesar on a coin. You shall not bow down before them or serve them. Money's not the most important thing. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their ancestors' wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, but showing love down to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not invoke the name of the Lord your God in vain. You won't make false swearing, for the Lord will not leave unpunished anyone who invokes his name. Say yes when you mean yes, no when you mean no. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. That's the third commandment. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Shall not do any work, either you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your work animal, or the resident alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. For on the seventh day he rested. That's why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. For your sake, take some time off. Now Jesus says, who doesn't get their donkey out of a out of a hole in the ground on the Sabbath when they have to. But remember that the Sabbath was made for you, and so take advantage of it. And then, that's, this is the second tablet of the law. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so those are the fifth through the tenth commandments. Hopefully you were aware I skipped the fourth because I decided to use it for back for uh, for cleanup at the end because I started the story about marriage, which is, uh, I like that story, about the guy that was afraid to cry in front of everybody because he loved this woman so much. And so... Honor your father and your mother that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So let's say you are a father and or a mother or in a marriage. And what you want is that you want your children to have a marriage like you have. But that is only desirable if it is in accord with the right order of love. And how is that? Well, because you learn to love God above all things. You don't lie in his name. You don't disrespect them in his home. Um, and you keep holy the Sabbath. Are you playing soccer on the Sabbath? Hey, as long as that is conducive to prayer and recreation in the family and it builds family love, that's great. You're swapping it out for mass. Um, maybe you're making of sports something that uh, uh, is a position that belongs to God. Um, there really are some tough things on parents and in marriages, and especially for grandparents. Because uh, I, what I said in that wedding was, you ought to make it easier, at least I say it to people, you ought to make it easier for someone to love you. Um, we ought to make being a Christian easier for each other. 
by how it is that we're an example and show our love to others. The right order of love is starts with me. What is the point of complaining about the lack of love in the world uh, in so degrading my own mentality that it ripples out to how I love spouse and family, um, how I love God? Because the right order of love, if you recognize that this is a fallen world, your job is to just keep it from getting as awful as it can. And you do that because you love God, you don't use his name in vain, you keep holy the Sabbath, you love your parents, and then the flip side of that is make it easier on your children and grandchildren to love you. And then understand your limits. Um, you don't get to kill other people. You, you're faithful to them. You don't steal from them. You don't lie about them to get stuff. Uh, and you don't covet their stuff. You don't covet their relationships. Learn how to be happy in your own little corner of the world. Um, and so how it is that we think about the right order of love. And so this is it for chapter 22 in Holy Week. You're invited to a wedding. You show up as you and you are properly attired. And then when you get there, you praise God because that's what you're made for. Because those are the two greatest commandments. That's chapter 22. And what's the greatest example? Jesus, for love of God the Father and us, going to his cross. We may not be asked to do that in that kind of bloody way. But friends, the cross, the love of God, and love of neighbors present every day of our lives. So think about these words. Meditate on the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. Say them all three times a day. This has been Oral Valley Catholic, and uh, God bless you, and see you next week.